I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. Thinking Sideways is not brought to you by a series of dots that may or may not contain a secret code. Instead, it's supported by the generous contributions of people like you, our listeners, on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash thinking sideways to learn more. Thinking Sideways. I don't understand. Stories of things we simply don't know the answer to. Hey guys, uh, you made it. It's the end of October. Last episode. Last episode. If you don't know, this is Thinking Sideways, the podcast. I'm Devin. That's Joe. And that is Steve. Yes. That was clean, actually. We did that that time. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. I won't have to edit that at all. No. Except for the, all of the five goofs that we did before then. Yeah. 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 No, um, uh, so as you probably know, but maybe not, this month of October, we've been doing Thinking Sideways is Most Wanted. So we came up with a list of 15, the 15 most requested mysteries. And we did an episode on the five, the top five voted so they weren't necessarily the top five most requested that we've ever had. They were a list of the most requested, and then there was a vote. So sorry if we missed the most request. We didn't. We got. I think all of we them. got pretty much. But there all are of some the that ones. are like that are pretty frequently requested that I guess we'll attempt to tackle in the next. Year, yeah, yeah, year. Yeah. next year. Yeah, someday. if we're not if we're not covering the mystery that you really, really are dying to see us cover, well, send us money. That's all it takes. <laughs> it's good. Yeah, we do yeah. accept bribes. Yeah, yeah. Well, totally. Yeah. yeah. So this is our 
uh, no, not there's no more like weird first runner up, second runner up. No, this is this our is winner, one. our winner, and uh, the we're gonna talk about the disappearance of the Beaumont children. Ooh, yeah, yeah. big one. Yeah, it's a big one. So you may or may not have listened to our group shows before. You might be able to tell this is going to be a long episode. So I didn't do it by myself. We all three broke it up. So we're going to do our standard show that we broke up style. And we're just going to each tackle different parts of it. I got the lamest parts. He did. Yeah. It's because he said he didn't care. (laughs) Yeah, I know. So I'm going to start by giving a quick overview of the story. Might want to... Give him the warning. Because this is a story about child abduction. And there are people who that's, uh, you know, an uncomfortable subject for. Yeah. Not only is it child abduction, but a lot of the um, suspects, I guess, are pretty bad people. They're pretty heinous. And we are going to talk, not in graphic detail, but in some vague detail about what they did and why it pertains to this. So uh, if you're squeamish... It's not your bag. It's not your bag. Skip you don't, this one. Just skip this one. Although, presumably, you're not going to be so upset about this warning if you're super excited about us covering this mystery. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully, there won't be any crossover there. Yeah. I, don't, I, don't, I think this is pretty PG-13. I wouldn't be too concerned. Yeah. It's not the yeah. worst. But just for all, some of our listeners who need to know things like that, I now think, you know. I think our listeners are already... They're not that kind of people anyway. They love the gore. Not all of them. Okay. You guys ready? On January 26th. 1966, which was Australia Day of that year, three children disappeared. Mm. Guess what? Their name was Beaumont. (laughs) Their last names were Beaumont. Um, They were Jane, who was nine, Arna, who was seven, and Grant, who was four. They were on a beach uh, that was called Glenelg. Which is a palindrome, you guys. Yeah, I know. That's really cool. You know, you pointed that out, and I had not noticed mm-hmm. that before. Yeah, it's palindrome. My um, Australian friend who helped me with some of these pronunciations, uh, the first thing he said, I said, how would you say this word? He said, it's a palindrome. And I was like, yeah, but how do you say it? Uh-huh. <laughs> so apparently that's a thing. Sweet. Um, anyways, it was, near, it was near Adelaide, South Australia. South Australia is the state. I believe, right? I think so. Yeah, which is also near Somerton, which you may or may not remember. This is why you are so excited about this particular case, just because it ties into your favorite one. My favorite one, yeah. Which is, um, that family actually lived in Somerton, um, which is where the whole Tam and Shrewd thing, Tom and Shrewd thing happened. It's kind of a little Bermuda Triangle. Yeah, it happened in 1948. And it's actually, as it turns out, this area is pretty... Notorious for disappearance and murders. So um, maybe someday we'll cover some other ones, but now we've covered two. Well, certainly, I mean, some of the suspects in this case have, has, have been suspects in many, many disappearances of mm-hmm. children. It's like, yeah. it's kind of shocking how many people are out there doing this kind of stuff. Yeah. In, in South Australia, it's weird. It's You'd think it was like a place that... Um, People sent the worst people that they had. I wasn't, yeah. <laughs> I wasn't even going to make that joke. <laughs> All right. So their parents uh, were Jim and Nancy Beaumont, and they often allowed the three children, Jane, Arna, and Grant, to uh, ride the bus to the beach. It was like a five-minute bus ride from their home to the beach. Um, and so they were often allowed to do that. And on this day, they were excited. It was Australia Day, which I think is kind of like 4th of July here, I believe. Mm, yeah, something um, like that. Yeah, it's, I think it's Independence Day or something. 
ignorance. Sorry, everyone. Anyways, it was a day of celebration. And so the three children said they wanted to go to the beach and their parents said, sure. Yeah, no problem. Mom said, yeah, go for it. We'll buy lunch. Yeah. They left home just after 10 a.m. I believe it was 10, 10 was when the bus left and they arrived at the beach predictably at about 10, 15, which is confirmed by the bus driver and also um, a few passengers of the bus. They said, yeah, the kids got off. Around 11, the children paused to play in a sprinkler that was on the lawn of Collie Reserve, which is like a public park that's just adjacent to the beach. It's like big lawn. I looked at pictures. It looks really pretty. Around this time, a witness also noticed that there was a man playing with the children. He was wearing blue swim trunks. And a school friend of Jane's said that she saw the kids there too at about 11, but that she didn't notice the man playing with them. So maybe the man was just playing in the sprinklers, but not with them. Yeah, maybe. The the witness's description of the whole encounter with the man was that he was laying on the grass initially, like tanning, and then got up and started playing with the kids. But 45 minutes later, the children bought some pastries and a pie from Wenzel's Cake Shop. Uh, they paid with a one-pound note. And pause for all of our Australian listeners. You might be saying, but in 1966, we had the dollar. Not so. Not Uh until May. I did my research on this one. It was still the pound until May of 1966. So they paid with a one pound note. And um, later, Nancy told authorities that she had given Jane eight shillings and six pence in coins, which was to cover the bus fare and then like small little snacks. Yeah. I was going to say, just get yourself something to munch. Yeah. Just little, little snacky things. So they, so it's unclear where they got the one pound note from. Uh, the owner of the shop also mentioned that she did know the children and they, um, they had purchased a meat pie, which they had never purchased before. Um, though they'd come into the shop many times. Yeah. If you're a kid and you've got some cash and you go into a pastry shop, you're, you're going to be, you're going to buy donuts. Yeah. 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 Or Sweets. candy yeah. or croissants or, you know, whatever. Not, it's not going to be a hearty meat pie. No. So she thought that was a little odd, but she, you know, didn't question them or anything like that. But she did recall that as being odd when she was interviewed later. Around noon, a number of witnesses were all sitting on a bench when they were approached by a man who matches the description of the man in the blue swim, tr- swim trunks. And he said he was missing some money and wondered if they had seen anybody touching his clothing. No, now I know where they got the one pound note from. Yeah, they might have stole it, right? Yeah. Yeah. They, don't, they didn't seem like that kind of group of kids. Yeah. Um, the group who was comprised of a woman, an older couple, and the older couple's 10-year-old granddaughter said, sorry, we didn't see um anybody touching your clothes and so the man walked back to his clothes where three children were waiting for him the witnesses said they were uh quote fairly certain that at least two of the children were jane and grant and were absolutely positive that the third child was arna and the man then helped the three children dress which they, the witnesses said they thought was odd because at least two of them uh, looked like they were definitely old enough to dress themselves. At nine and seven. At nine and seven, I would say yeah. To dress yourself. Okay, that's, yeah. that's a little weird. But little he creepy. apparently helped. He took the time to help them all dress. It took them like fifteen minutes to get all all dressed. Really? But he apparently helped them all dress. And then around um, twelve fifteen, as I said. Wait, it took. It took that long to... I, I haven't seen anything that said how I long I guess so it, it was about noon when he approached them. 
So the conversation took maybe a minute or two, and then he walked back to the children and immediately helped them start dressing. And then the witnesses said that they departed around twelve fifteen. Well, so maybe. it did take them a while. Maybe it was he was not helping them get dressed. Maybe he was trying to undress them, and they were kept they kept dressing themselves. He kept undressing. <laughs> no, them. No, I think it was pretty clear. He actually, was I was them. I was wondering about it as I'd never thought about this. But if the children buy something and they eat something, and somebody laces it on them, that would be why you would have to help a kid get dressed. That's if you true. Drugged them a little bit. Mm-hmm. Oh, they yeah. were a little drugged Maybe. up. That's good. I hadn't actually I, thought. No, of that. I just yeah. thought about that now. Yeah. yeah. Now it's it's just this whole scenario is just it's just a little hard to picture from mm-hmm. today's modern standpoint because, oh yeah absolutely yeah because yeah. i mean obviously you don't want to be having anything to do with kids no. that you don't know yeah yeah, no, yeah don't go anywhere near them absolutely uh, that's sort of kind of a more paranoid society today than we used to be well in this case actually was the impetus for a lot of that oh as yeah it turns out they was the catalyst for a lot of families in australia particularly to stop allowing their children the kind of freedom that the Beaumont children were afforded. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, between, because this happened. Between the pervs and the dingoes, you know, I mean, there's yeah. all kinds of things it's in hard. Australia it's wanting to, to get your kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah it absolutely <laughs> is. Well, and that's the thing about the, this these kids is that I, you bring up a great point, Joe, is everybody's probably freaking out going, oh my God, their parents let them go on their own. But it was 1966. Yeah, it was less paranoid times. It was a very different world. Yeah. And I mean, I grew up in in the States, you know, and, and still, when I was a kid, my parents still said, where are you going? When are you going to be back? No, you're going to be back by this time. And don't ride your bike in the street. Yeah. And then I just took off and did what I wanted. Yeah. Oh, yeah and would, it's the exact same yeah. thing these kids were doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. We would just take off and go all over the place. Yeah. You know? and, yeah. yeah. and I think it's interesting, actually, to think about the way that we're reacting to this story versus, like, the Madeline McCann case, for instance, right? Where I know we were all like, what were those parents thinking? That's absurd. But I, it was genuinely the society that was exactly how everybody was treating their children. Well, even I think children of Yeah, I think it's that. And there's an age yeah. difference thing here yeah. between this and the McCann case. Absolutely, so. yeah. I'm not trying to, like, draw no, no. parallels. But <laughs> no, I do want to point, you know, it was genuinely a different time. Oh, and, and regarding the, the, the McCann parents, uh, you know, they should have locked their room. But other than that, you know, that wasn't too, it wasn't too egregious on their part. Yeah, but, yeah no Because we, we actually got a little blowback when, we, when that episode aired. Some people were, like, upset with us because they thought we were too hard on the parents. Yeah. So Nancy, as we've just discussed, it was, you know, a different time. Nancy Beaumont, the mom, uh, she wasn't too worried when the kids didn't come home at on the noon bus. She kind of just figured that maybe they had decided to walk home from the beach, with they, which they had done before and would have taken them, you know, extra time. Or maybe um, they missed the bus. Yeah, or maybe they missed the bus. It wasn't exactly what we would call a frequent run bus. The next bus was due back at two. So she said, you know, she was she wasn't concerned really. She thought either they would be waiting for her at home, they would walk home, or they'd be on the two o'clock bus. So she did. She went home, and she was a, a little miffed that they weren't home waiting for her. I think she genuinely thought, oh, they just walked home. And then she walked from home to the bus stop for the two o'clock bus, expecting them to get off that bus. They didn't. They didn't get off any buses. She kind of thought, okay, that's weird, but I guess they could be on the next bus. Mm. And the next bus came at three. It's rationalizing is what it is. Yeah. When... Yeah, it's denial. Your kids are your kids are kidnapped. Yeah. Uh, so when they were not on the three o'clock bus, she did start to freak out. And there's this possible sighting of the kids at 1.45 or 2.55 p.m., I have a real hard time with this one. I do too. So these two, these two sightings are like 
the police don't think they're credible, but uh, we'll mention them anyway. So it's possible that at 1.45 p.m., the children were seen with the same man, but he had light brown hair, not blonde hair. The man in the blue trunks. The man in the blue trunks, yeah. And the report was that they were leaving the beach um, pretty much at that moment. It's also possible that the postman who was familiar with them saw them walking along Jetty Road towards the beach. He said it would have either been at the beginning or end of his round, which would have been at 1.45 or 2.55 p.m. And in some statements, he actually said that he saw them in the morning, but he recanted that. So you'll see out on the Internet all three versions of that. In all the different places, you'll see that, oh, the policeman def- or the postman definitely saw them on their way to the beach. Oh, he definitely saw them walking alone at 145. Oh, he definitely saw them walking alone at 255. But he couldn't even remember if but it was the But he couldn't same day. remember. Yeah, yeah, he couldn't remember any of that. So the police kind of discounted that as well. Understandably so. Yeah, I agree. So like I said, Nancy by this point was pretty concerned. Um, but she, she did go home and continue to wait for them until Jim, her husband got home at which point both of them, I think it was about 5 PM when he got home and they decided to go to the beach to look for the kids. I think just hoping that they had lost track of time or something like that. Obviously they didn't find anything. So they officially reported the children missing at 7:30 PM that night. And then Jim continued to look throughout the night for the kids or any sign of the kids. And when there was no sign of them, they were officially declared missing the next morning. So the morning of January 27th, 1966. The search that ensued was extensive and did eventually become the biggest manhunt or search. Or kid hunt. Search uh, in the history of Australia. There are a few things to note. Not very many, but a few. Uh, The first thing of note is that the children, but particularly Jane, were described as shy. Apparently, Arna had at one point told her mother that Jane had, quote, got a boyfriend down the beach, unquote. Mm. And Nancy, of course, you know, thinking that seven-year-old Arna, um, referring to nine-year-old Jane, had just meant a playmate and ignored the comment. But it did seem a little weird after the kids disappeared. In hindsight, yeah, in a hindsight. lot of things can that mm-hmm. are very simple. We've talked yeah. about this before, though. Yeah. Um, so investigators did theorize that the man in the blue swim trunks that had been seen playing with the kids um, had actually met them before, since they did go to the beach fairly frequently, that he had worked to gain their trust. Um, because it would it seemed out of character, I guess, for the kids to play with a stranger. Mm-hmm. With in you know such kind of ease, Although, and that lends me to think that there was a lot of planning put into place. This mm-hmm. wasn't a crime of opportunity. It wasn't a snatch and grab. Yeah, yes, yeah. that's Although, exactly the, mm-hmm. the right term to mm-hmm. use. It's somebody had to spend three, four separate occasions with these kids to build up that if, relationship. If indeed the man in the blue swim trunks was responsible, correct. Yeah, he was. Yes. We don't know that, but, but also if he, if this guy had been regularly hanging with the kids, you'd think there would have been a lot more witnesses we would have noticed on previous occasions. It's true. I guess, yeah. but also it's not exactly as though 
the police were saying like anybody who ever saw these kids interacting with anybody tell us anything you know they were saying specifically on this day these kids disappeared did you see them mm-hmm. you're in this area it seems like um this beach is kind of a touristy area uh, yeah so it's not as though not, there weren't a lot of regulars yeah. there and i don't know it's also entirely possible that the man in the blue shorts was playing with his own three children yeah. True that. That it, yeah. they were misidentified. Absolutely. That's quite yeah. possible. The children, um, they had things like towels, small playthings. Uh, Jane had a copy of Little Women, which is not a small book, with her. And none of these items were ever found, which mm, lends itself to think that the kids weren't just washed out to sea. Those things would have probably washed back up on the shore or been oh, they left would have on been, shore. They would have been would left have been on shore. Yeah. Um, so it wasn't just a riptide. Jim appeared on national television on January 31st asking for any leads and um, hundreds of tips flooded the hotlines and apparently every single one of them was followed up and none of them really produced any kind of substantial leads. A few months after the kids disappeared, a woman reported that on the night of the disappearance, she had seen a man and three children, two girls and a boy, enter a house next to hers that she thought was empty. And I think it was like a vacation rental sort of situation, not like an abandoned house sort of situation. Uh, She reported that she saw the boy walking alone when he was chased and, quote, roughly caught by the man. Why why did you wait two months? Yeah, uh, I mean, that's exactly it. I was about to say, this is just like the Springfield Tree and the lady who said that she saw the the girls Mm -hmm. in the van. Like months later. Months later. Yeah. Uh Yeah, and that's exactly it. The police weren't able to substantiate the story because of the distance of time between when it happened and when the tip was given so they weren't able to go get any forensic evidence or anything like that that would have potentially existed in this house mm-hmm. yeah they could have um, got some fingerprints yeah if if this happened right and if, if it this was, woman it... was telling the truth there yeah. would have been forensic evidence there and they would have been able to collect it and yeah. it would have probably yielded money many more results in the long run but if it was i mean they, they must have followed up with the owners of the house i mean if it was a vacation rental then and they rented it to somebody for a day or two i presume yeah. i uh, the only thing that you can ever find about this is that it just, there were no leads from it. So I presume that it wasn't actually rented mm-hmm. on that day. They just broke in. This yeah. is always yeah. a paragraph at most at on most, the internet. At most, a paragraph. Oh, I know. Yeah. But I did want to include it because it is kind of interesting. You know, like we said before, while this case did drastically alter the way that uh, parents behaved with their children, the allowances they gave them, the kind of freedom they gave them. No one blames the the family in this case. No, oh, no. Um, which I think is is fair. And if you know something, <laughs> there is still a one million dollar reward f- um, for any information leading to this case being solved. Yeah, which that's is why still, there's still a huge commitment to uh, the solving of this case. Yeah, and that's that's why thinking sideways is not going to solve it right at the moment because actually I that's how we're going to fund the show. Uh, yeah, because... <laughs> we're going to solve a fifty year old mystery. Yeah, and exactly. bankroll this whole thing. Obviously. Uh-huh. Yeah. Now the uh, the thing about it is is uh, if you go and you look at all the information on the internet, it's quite obvious. Who, who did the killing, and it's quite obvious where the bodies are. Yeah. But, unfortunately, the Australian dollar is really weak right now. 
and I'm gonna wait until it, it's a couple of years ago. It was actually it's actually pretty strong, but now yeah. it's like worth you know it's, it's just yeah. not worth that much. It's so not. we're gonna hold off on solving yeah. this. Sorry, folks. Yeah. But, so we uh, do actually we do have really really big news. Yeah. yeah. We're you really excited about it, it. Come on. But okay. we're not sure if we're gonna release it or not. Well, we'll pull a James Renner here. Uh, <laughs> Come on, Australia, get your act together. Come on, get man. that dollar stronger. Then we can solve this case. It's That's on you. Right. This on. is like that picture of a million likes, right? Like if this picture <laughs> just gets a million likes. Bill Gates will. Yeah, he will. Anyway, that's the end of the overview of this story. Steve? Yeah, there's more. Of course. Oh. We're we're in I think this is going to happen for a while. Is there's more story to tell before yeah. we ever even get into the theory section? Yeah. Because as with all high-profile cases, stuff just keeps happening. Yeah. And, and um as a disclaimer, I don't I don't know about you guys, but like I did my research on my parts and then like some light glanced, researching on the other parts. Like kind of skimmed the cliff notes of the other parts so just so our listeners are prepared there are going to be a lot of wait what yeah <laughs> but yeah. but apparently this there were some letters some letters yes yeah. there were it's unclear the exact date that the first letters arrived it was either the 23rd or the 24th of february of 1968 uh, the beaumonts received a letter that was supposedly from their daughter jane and of course, Mr. Beaumont calls the cops. Smart. Yeah, he calls. Uh, the lead detective on the case was um, Stan Swain, right? Yeah, Swain. that's who it was. Swain. So Swain, and I'm gonna. He'll be referred to a couple of times through mm -hmm. here. They they check it out, and the letter is evidently sent from a town that is called Dandenong. Sounds I, right to me. Yep, gonna go with that, Victoria, mm -hmm. and it was evidently sent. Two or three days prior. So they they said it was sent on the 21st of February based on its postmark. Those are pretty reliable. Those are pretty reliable. It's, yeah. the, it's the arrival date. That's why I'm a little mm -hmm. iffy on this because we don't know exactly right. what day it arrived. Right. But the, the letters are weird because the handwriting isn't really Jane's. Like, mm -hmm. it's kind of Jane's, but mm -hmm. not... You know what I mean? It's like, it's kid writing. Yeah, well, well, it's also hard at that age. Like, I can look back at my journals. Yes, I kept journals. Oh, you did? From when I was nine <laughs> till when did. I was 11, right? That your handwriting year changed. span, you're, yeah, it changed it? drastically. On a oh, daily yeah. basis yeah. sometimes. Yeah. 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 They went ahead and hoped, I'm going to say, I'm going to put it that way, they hoped that it was actually her handwriting. Oh, yeah. And the letters said that the children were uh, were okay, mm -hmm. but that and that they would be returned to their parents, mm -hmm. and all their parents had to do was follow a set of instructions. And that those instructions were that they... The, one of the parents, I believe it's, it might have been expressly Mr. Beaumont. I thought it was. I, thought it was I think it I is, but I'm Beaumont. not 100% positive, but we're yeah. going to say it is. Yeah. Um, and so, he, had to, he had to wear a completely pink jumpsuit, right? No, <laughs> not a pink jumpsuit. Oh, not my uniform? <laughs> no. Dang. No. Uh, Jim had to be in front of the post office in that town at 8.50 in the morning on the 26th of February, which was a Monday. Wow. And he was going to be wearing a, he had to wear a dark coat and white trousers. Of course, with all these letters, it says, if you tell the cops, the whole thing's off. Always. So you can't do anything. Yeah. There is some very right off the stop, top peculiarities with letters, and that is that Arna's name is continually spelled wrong. Yeah, it's missing it's, an N. It's supposed to be two N's, and it only has one N every time that it's used in the letter. Mm -hmm. But... 
what the heck, we're going to go ahead and follow up. The uh, The parents leave for town the, on Sunday morning. They head out. The they leave. Yeah. They, and, they, and they took a few detectives with them. They took they? cops with them, of course. And, and this whole thing was supposed to be done on the on the download. It was going to be super hush <laughs> Somehow that didn't happen. One of the cops was Detective Swain, right? Yes. Correct? Yes. Yeah. Swain did go. But yeah, they were going to do it on the download. And that just. That but didn't... somebody was a jerk and leaked it, didn't they? Well. <laughs> There's a couple of things that went wrong here. There's there's people who were honestly suspicious, but it did get leaked to the Adelaide Press somehow that this was going on. And like so why? I don't. I'm not going to accuse anybody of taking bribes from the press, but but I guess also like my other part of that though is that like if this if the public commitment is to getting this thing solved and like ensuring the well being of the children, I don't think the commitment was that strong because we're not even a month later. We're yeah. we're barely a month after it It just happened. still seems like no, no, any it... editor worth its salt wouldn't be like, oh. I mean, it's not like it's the UK Mail. Like, it's not... <laughs> the Daily Mail. You know, it's not that kind of publication. So, yeah, that's upsetting to me. It's upsetting to me that they would have published something like that. Yeah, but... Uh, by the way, it wasn't just a month or so. It was... It was... It was... Like two years. Yeah, yeah. It was oh, 1968. I'm, thank you. Yeah. I'm an idiot. <laughs> yeah. But it's okay. It was a million years ago. So it yeah. was It was two years after the fact. So I, I will agree then. Okay, yeah. you're right. But I also think that if it's been two years, and this is a case that I feel like is kind of like uh, Lord Lucan. Yeah. He gets trotted out. Whipped up. Gets trotted out to yeah. sell papers. So Very you know regularly. that's why they, they yeah. send all these guys down there. Yeah. I just It just feels like... It's I, dirty. I am going to blame the newspaper a little bit. I know a lot of other stuff happened that went wrong and that's fine, but I am definitely going to place some pretty heavy blame, whether the letters were real or not. You as a newspaper shouldn't ever say like, these people are going to like potentially recover their children after two years of searching. Let's publish it before it happens. No, yeah. well, they didn't publish it. They just, they just basically they just, followed, like, the, they followed yeah. the Beaumont's to Dandon. Dandenong. 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 <laughs> yeah. There's a reason I'm not saying that name yeah. anymore. Yeah, the, I'm the, the town. Yeah, the, the town. Yeah. Actually, but, it's like, they're like the, the Australians are like the Brits, and so it's probably pronounced Dong. <laughs> <laughs> Anywho, so I uh, obviously the Adelaide newspaper guys are there. At the same time, there's a pub owner who sees Swain wandering around and is suspicious of him and the reason is is that somebody had been in that town breaking into safes and he's like i don't know who this guy is i'm calling the cops well, wasn't swain or was it mr bowman i can't remember one of them was wearing like the black trench coat and the hat I don't remember and like which kind one. of wandering around. i thought both of them were just like kind of wandering around suspiciously they were being like, suspicious standing there yeah i think Beaumont was loitering in front of the post office like yeah. he was supposed to and then the, the detective was just walking around the neighborhood mm-hmm. like you know be acting like a pedestrian just walking through yeah. well but i i really get the impression that you're you're early on in the timeline because i think that if and i might be wrong but i got the impression that the cops were called on Sunday when they were patrolling around trying to figure things out. Because what happens is this guy calls the cop. The cop somehow figures out that Swain is a police officer in Adelaide. Mm -hmm. And what does he do? And I don't know how he does it. Not sure who he calls, but then what does he do? He goes ahead and calls the local press yeah. and tells them what's going on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So at eight fifty the next morning, it was Mr. A zoo. It's a zoo because Mr. <laughs> yeah. Beaumont is in front of mm-hmm. the post office. He's doing what he's supposed to, but there's all of these 
I'm using air quotes here, random wandering people. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. I'm, I'm just minding my own business. Well, wasn't like, I, I'm sure, actually, let's just keep going because this is my favorite. It's about to come. Oh, yeah. The phone calls. Yes. Yeah, so, so of course, he's standing outside. Yeah. Somebody calls. He's out, and he's outside the post office. Somebody calls the post office. It's a male voice with a Australian accent. He talks to this postal woman, uh, worker. It's a woman. She goes and says, I need you to take a message outside. She takes a message outside to Mr. Beaumont saying that they're delayed and they, they're on their way. Okay. Everything seems fine so far. Uh, not too long after that. Uh, and I, it, there's a, a telegraph comes through somehow the, the message is conveyed again to Mr. Beaumont that they're on their way. Mm-hmm. And then after that, another message is brought to him saying that Grant is sick. And so they can't be there till after lunch. And of course, you know, Mr. Beaumont, just, he's hanging out. Mm-hmm. He's going to wait. And they're his kids. He's, of course, they're his kids. Yeah. And he finally, he gets there at 850 in the morning. He gives up at three o'clock. I think he kind of figured out like he's being seven strung along. Hour day. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah. he's had enough, and so uh, obviously he didn't get his kids. What I don't really get about this is, didn't the police? I mean, it's, it's easy to find out what telegraph office the telegrams originated in. Don't ask me, brother. Yeah, I I don't know why that didn't happen. Why did and, they didn't follow up on that? Well, or, and I mean they must have. Well, and there's there's some follow up, but it doesn't seem like at that time. I don't know why. I don't know. I kind of feel it feels a bit like there there was so Ham-handed. much going on, you know, that suddenly it was just like nobody knew what to do anymore. Nobody knew how to do their job anymore. Yeah, it was like, well, we don't want to blow our cover, so we're not gonna go. You know, as soon as the telegram guy, we're not going to follow the telegram guy back in because obviously he's being watched. So, or potentially, you know, and by that yeah. point, mm-hmm. I don't think you keep a necessarily great record of like this person at exactly this time said this telegraph saying this. Mm-hmm. But you can talk to the people that work in the office. I mean, you yeah. go in there, you write down text. They 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 send mm-hmm. the text. Yeah. And so somebody's going to interact with you. And, and yeah, of course. I just think that like if you follow up a couple days later. As, especially if you happened to send it from a really populous area, like. Well, you know, here's here's the thing too, and of course, well, I don't want to, I don't want to give away the ending, but more than one telegram was sent. Mm-hmm. So after the first telegram, if the cops had just you know gone to the telegraph telegraph office that received the telegraph the telegram, mm-hmm. and then found out from them where it originated. Right, but that's what I'm saying that is that office, like I think they still thought their cover was like. They were still they didn't super realize how sneaky. Screwed they I were. think they thought they were still being really sneaky, and they were like, "But if I follow this guy into his office, I'm not being sneaky anymore." Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like they were, they still thought they had it. Mm-hmm. Versus, like, you know, a couple days later, they realized, like, oh, our cover was super blown immediately. We were acting uh, yeah. like dummies. Yeah, it was. But yeah, okay, I, I it's think, okay to go question this person. Yeah, now. if the, if that had the telegrams, uh, if, the, if the letters and, and everything had been for real. Then that that would that really in my mind represents a huge lost opportunity. Absolutely, no, yeah, I agree I mean, with you. I think that one of the biggest problems in this entire case, as with so many cases we cover, is the fact that it was just totally bungled by the police. A little bit, yeah. yeah. But 
Steve has more things to say. I do. Let's talk a little bit more about this. It's all right. I'm just staring at you two, watching you blabber on. Yeah. Um, Okay, so we've talked about the fact that several telegrams come through. One of them says they're going to be late. The other one tells Mr. Beaumont to go wait across the street. This is my favorite part. I just, like, that is seriously my favorite part of this entire story because I just imagine it was like, okay, you've got the image. You have a bunch of people in, like, NCIS, right? They're doing a stakeout. Or The Wire. They're doing a stakeout, and it's like... No, I'm just a homeless person. I'm asking for money. Oh, I'm a person giving you money. You know, it's I'm like all of, of these shrubbery. staged. Yeah, yeah. right. But and then if they your all target cross the moves, street. right? So like, Mr. Beaumont gets the thing, and he's like, "Oh, okay, I'll go across the street." He goes across the street, and and like two seconds later, everybody else is around him again too. It's the same exact tableau, just on the other side. That's that mental image is one of my favorite yeah. all time mental <laughs> images. Kind of Keystone Cops here, yeah. but uh, yeah. yeah. So Mr. Beaumont stays in that town yeah. for a total... He, he waits outside the post office for a total of three days, hoping that something's going to happen, and it doesn't. Uh, but more letters are sent to the family's home. Uh, there are three letters that are sent in two envelopes, and one of them was postmarked from the 29th of February. From that same city, town, yep, right? same same town, mm-hmm. and would have been on the same... The other one was uh, from the same day, but... It, did, it arrived the same day? It was posted on the same day, is mm-hmm. the way that it's written. Okay. Now, I'm assuming that it was, that means that the post office handled it and stamped it that day, mm-hmm. but it's not, it's never been said where it came from. Okay. I would presume that it was the same town, but mm-hmm. maybe whoever was sending them went to the next town and it went through their post system. Mm-hmm. I'm, I can't clarify that. Sure. Okay. But the, the letters, they, they show up, and again, there's a letter from Jane, and in that letter... Um, well, there's two letters from well, Jane, Well, yeah. Right? There's the letter from Sorry. Jane, yep. and it's it's signed... It's still in that weird handwriting mm-hmm. that's not quite Jane's handwriting, but it's still there. Mm-hmm. And then there is... Uh, there's... <laughs> What's called the disguised handwriting, mm. which I think means I'm writing with my left hand so you can't tell who I am kind of disguised handwriting. It's really terrible, I'm guessing. Mm. From, but it's, it's signed, The Man. Mm. And it says that because the Beaumonts didn't play ball, the, the kids aren't going to be returned. Hmm. Um, and it's, it's really, it's, it's just, it's kind of a brutal thing. And the whole thing is brutal to me because it turns out, as I think everybody's figured out at this point, the whole thing was a hoax. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Uh, because in, uh, that was 68 in 1981, they looked at the letters again, but they didn't get much out of them. And then 10 years, 10, 11 years later, they had better ways to, to fingerprint things and they were able to pull prints off of them and they found the guy who wrote the letter and he was he was a kid he when was he 17, did it right? he was a 17 year old kid who thought it was funny and he did this but the whole time after he felt you know as he matured he was really regretful of the whole thing and realized oh, what a jackass move yeah. it was yeah but so the the letters are weird and they're alluded to but the whole thing turns out to be for naught yeah mm-hmm. yeah too bad all right, so time goes by. This is actually, this, what I'm going to talk about now happened before the letters arrived. Mm. This is later in the year of 1966. Um, this was obviously a, a huge deal, and it got worldwide publicity. publicity. Mm-hmm. Right. And so a Dutch parapsychologist, or psych, a psychic, who was named Gerard Croisset, uh, 
offered his services. He was actually sometimes consulted by Dutch police in uh, murder and missing person cases. And He was the uh, girl with the dragon tattoo? Uh-huh, yeah. Okay. Um, he had crazy hair. Okay, he had crazy hair. There's a picture. The of... requisite crazy hair. Oh yeah, have you seen this picture? It wasn't. Oh, yeah. It oh, wasn't yeah. as crazy as I thought it was going to be, but it was still pretty crazy. It was pretty crazy. Yeah. yeah. It was. It, uh-huh. it wasn't as crazy as I thought it was going to be because it was missing the top part. Yeah. <laughs> but man. Anyway, yeah. He's there. there is is a... that a bald joke? No. Yeah. Uh, I'll be, <laughs> there, there is a Wikipedia page uh, mm-hmm. devoted to this guy. You can look at the picture yourself. His, his name is is actually um, it's spelled like Gerard. Croisette, but the it's Dutch, French. Yeah, so Gerard Croisette, and so uh, no, no, they should it. have to figure out how to spell it. They should have to figure out how to pronounce if, it. If, What's wrong with these? If people? they insist we pronounce things correctly, <laughs> yeah, they should figure out how to spell things from our pronunciation. <laughs> That's right. They're screwed. Yeah, yeah, ruined Eddie, forever. Okay, so time to invade. So what? So, it, so did he? He was involved in this case. Somehow. He did get involved. Yeah, uh, his career, by the way, was kind of a mixed bag. Uh, he actually did occasionally succeed in giving police clues that helped to solve the occasional murder, missing person, or missing body. Do or you whatever. think it's like we could give helpful clues to people? I have yeah. two feelings. One is living. The other is dead. Yeah. Who's who? <laughs> Who is Tom? Oh, you mean Tim? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we're stealing straight from Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. but, so, uh, Croisset seemed to fail more often than he succeeded. Um, Not but, surprisingly. Yeah, but hey, hey, what the hell? They were desperate. Uh, he, they sent him photos and other information about the disappearance, um, and he contacted them and gave them some clues about his feeling about where the kids might, might be, where mm-hmm. their bodies might be. Mm-hmm. And, uh, of course, all those were checked out, and none of them panned out. Mm. So, uh, eventually, Croisset decided to, it would be better if he went to Australia. Yeah, that makes sense. And, you know, Psychic bo- feelings better closer. Oh, yeah. Local read. Yeah, yeah, boots on the ground and all that stuff. Yeah, uh, that. Yeah, uh, and his travel expenses were paid by a rich Australian businessman who had taken an interest in the case. Who is hilarious looking, by the way. Yeah. They all are. Yeah. Oh, he's, he, he, oh. He wears great suits and funny hats. Yeah. I've seen the footage of him. Oh, you had to ask me Ah, that. I knew it until then. Mm. But he he is the funniest looking guy ever. Okay, well. Well, anyway, it's very generous of him to to, uh, treat uh, Croisset to a a free trip to Australia. Uh, The Beaumonts, for their part, didn't actually want to meet with Croisset because they thought he was a quack. They didn't believe in psychics. Uh, and they also really were not happy about the media feeding frenzy that was taking place. Because, Understandably, yeah. Yeah, the word got out that he was coming, and everybody got all excited. Uh, he did succeed in actually meeting with the Beaumonts before he left Australia. But, uh, yeah, I don't think they took him too seriously. No, I think so either. Yeah. Um, he kept changing his mind about where they were. And this is before he even arrived in Australia. He was. He kept changing his mind about that. At first, he said they were only half a mile from where they disappeared, maybe in a collapsed stormwater pipe. Then he changed his mind and said that they were in some sand dunes. Um, When he arrived in Australia, which was like November, he walked on the beach and just sort of communed with nature and stuff, and and then said that he felt that they were buried under the floor of a warehouse that had recently been constructed. Um, And so he, uh, he requested that they rip up the concrete floor of the warehouse because the bodies were underneath the, underneath there. Uh, the police were skeptical because they had searched the area thoroughly. At the time the kids disappeared, this was actually a building site, and, and so they hadn't poured the concrete slab yet. 
So actually, you know, a likely place to dispose of some bodies. What the police uh, had, had apparently searched the work site before the concrete slab had been poured, and so they were extremely skeptical. Uh, and of course, the building's owner wasn't enthusiastic at all about the idea. Yeah, that <laughs> of course, yeah. the person who has a, a stake in this building. Oh, yeah. Uh, they kicked off a, a big fundraising campaign uh, to, to raise funds to compensate the owner for the damage that was going to be done. Uh, it raised about 40000 bucks. So they ripped up the floor and found nothing. And then again, they, it was, the building was partially demoed in 1996, and, the, and the, the, the current owner then let the police search the site again, and once again, nothing was found. And this Weird. is a, Well, they brought in the cadaver dogs. Yeah. I remember that, because I actually yeah. watched some of the footage from that, because, mm-hmm. of course, you know, media feeding frenzy, the oh, yeah. cameras are all there, yeah. and I must have watched four different newscasts in a row that were, you know, they had the cadaver dogs in the pits trying to figure things out, and the dogs weren't really getting much of anything. Weird. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, like, there may not have been bodies there. May, uh, maybe their bodies weren't there. Weird. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Actually, Quasse uh, uh, later told somebody that he actually believed that the children were buried in the foundation of a, a block of apartments. Uh, but then he didn't he didn't say anything about that because he didn't want to upset the people living in the apartment. <laughs> so he decided on the warehouse instead. Sure. That yeah. reeks of manure. Makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's kind of like that whole... That whole uh, forget it. <laughs> but uh, he left Australia. Uh, he left Australia. Many people thought that he was just a fraud. And, uh, Weird. And he never came back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And also there's another psychic who's kind of been stuck, inserted himself into this case. Uh, an Australian guy named Scott Russell Hill who claims to be a psychic detective. And he's written a book called Psychic Detective. <gasps> yeah, I know. That's a good name. I know. I don't know why I didn't think yeah. of that. He, he says that uh, he knew the Beaumont kids when he was young. Uh, mm. And I, I didn't bother to check that out. I'll take him at his word. Sure. Yeah. He also said that he had an encounter with Grant's ghost. Remember, Grant was a little four-year-old boy. I'll also take that at face value. Yeah, yeah. So he had an Just encounter with Grant's gold, ghost. Yeah. And he says he's working on the case, but so far, nothing. Mm. Yeah. Uh, that's the only part of this that I believe. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so far, nothing. Yeah, so so uh, the, the psychics didn't really pan out, yeah. alas. Yeah. What do you want to talk about next? Suspects, maybe? Yeah, you guys were were there. You want to talk about the suspects? Suspects. Wow, that didn't take long. No, not at all. I guess we'll start, because suspects are theories at this point, right? Yeah, it's yeah we don't, the theories are whodunit. Or yeah. whodunit. Yeah. yeah, there are, uh, there, there are like, uh, about five suspects. Really interesting ones, yeah. yeah. So the first one is a gentleman, <clears throat> if you can call him that, by the name of Bevan Spencer Von Einem. And I'm just going to preface this by saying, sometimes when you uh, research this kind of mystery, you end up having to research a person who is so horrible that you literally do not know where to start. And I think Steve felt this way, too. A little bit. When researching his suspect. Um, So I'm going to go ahead and say of all of the real life confirmed killers we've ever talked about in the show, this guy in my book takes the cake. Mm. Every single time I watched a number of news pieces about this guy and every single time they referred to him as the sadistic von Eymann. <laughs> like, that was that's his title. Like that's his name now. Uh-huh. Um, I, I, and I, I, he yeah. is currently alive. 
And does. currently in jail. Well, if, and if he's part of what he's alleged to be part of, then it's super. He's weird. definitely part of what he's alleged to be part of. I'm going to go on the record and say he's absolutely part of that, and we'll talk about that. Okay, in a yeah. second. But an evil guy. He's not. A, he's not a nice guy. No. Oh no. no. I, I wasn't trying to defend <laughs> this upright citizen. <laughs> no. I mean, yeah. he's in jail for a long time for a reason. Yeah, but guess what? Uh, possibility of parole. I still don't get that. Yeah. Anyways. Way to go, Australia. Einem was born in 1945 or maybe 1959. I'm not sure. To be honest with you, when you Google him, right, there's usually that, like, preview of the Wikipedia page. And on the preview, it says, born in 1959. And you click through, and it's like, born in 1945. So I literally don't know (laughs) what year he was born in. I'm... Thick 45. I think so, too. That's what I'm going with for all of the, like, ages that we're going to refer to in a little bit. But just so you guys know, there is that discrepancy on the internet internet somewhere. I'm going to say that that was a uh, Wikipedia update that then got cached by Google. Yeah, it's possible. Yeah. Um, so he was born in Australia. Because, um, you know, if he was a suspect and he was born in 59, he would have been seven. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so big, big, big probably album. not that. Yeah. yeah. His... Wikipedia and Murderpedia page uh, list his number of of victims as one to five plus. Mm-hmm. Probably dozens. He is currently serving life with possibility of parole somehow, like we said. I kind of suspect he's never going to get parole. I, I, he's definitely not. No. But the fact that it's a possibility is interesting to me. To understand why he's so horrible... You have to learn about something that happened in the late 70s to mid 80s in Adelaide called the family murders. Who in the hell named this? The media, actually. Of course Um, it was. Yeah, locally, this is, it's a group of suspects that was called the family. And police are adamantly against calling them that because they feel like it gives legitimacy to a group of people who did some really bad stuff but aren't affiliated with each other anymore. I don't know how the police choose to refer to these guys, so unfortunately we're going to refer to them as the family. Now, how well documented is the existence of this group? Um, it's From what I have read, it's internally confirmed within the police. The problem you run into, um, shockingly, put on your tin hats is that everybody but Einem is allegedly either a really successful business person or connected to the politics high yeah. high member of society yeah, yeah. politicians judges mm-hmm. yeah yeah um or just you know rich business people um, so they've got the connections to stay right. out of trouble so it's actually when you when you research about these they're referred to as um Einem and then You've got suspect one, two, and three. <laughs> They're not named, even though the police are pretty sure they knew who these people are. Okay. Um, How do uh, psychotic perverts like this find each other? I don't know. You know, I mean, and seriously. I mean, it's interesting, just, isn't it? You just like walk yeah. up to a guy in a bar and say, hey, what are you into? And the guy well, says, oh, you know. they just They just go meet each other on perv book. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Yeah. But... In the 70s. Yeah. Yeah. But I've always wondered about, like, like previously, we, like, we talked about Leonard Lake and Charles Ng, you know. And yeah, they how were, do they, they find were, each other? They were well, they met in the prison, though. They, was it prison? Yeah, uh, yeah but those it, two met in prison. 
But it's like, you know, how did they, they one of them said, hey, you know, I, I'd really like just torturing and raping and murder. How about you, dude? And they, you know yeah. I mean? No, I don't know how, risky, and I especially yeah. don't know how these guys all met, but they did. And together they are suspected to be responsible for at least five, but probably 12 or 13 murders. And all kids, right? All um, almost young. all young mm-hmm. people. The oldest one is is twenty five, but that's an outlier. The bulk of them are under seventeen. Yeah. And as it turns out, all but one of the like five, like definitely attributed to these people murders are unsolved. So that means that we know what we're doing next October. <laughs> yeah. Yay. Just kidding. Um, the one that has been solved is the one that Von Einen is serving life for. The murder of Richard Kelvin in um, 1983. I don't want to go too deep into this. Yeah, that's a pretty vicious crime. It's really, really vicious. But Richard was a 15-year-old boy who was kidnapped, raped, sodomized, and tortured for five weeks until his death caused by massive blood loss due to an anal injury. Um, his body was dumped on July 24th, 1983, unceremoniously and really poorly hidden right next to an airfield. And they found a lot of drugs in the system, They found right? a, 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 quote, massive amount of, um, what they call hypnotic drug, drugs, which are sedatives. Um, and it was four different kinds. And this um, is, this is what, uh, this is what did, did Von Item in. Yeah. <laughs> they did a search of his house. Um, actually they did a search of people who had been prescribed these drugs and a, uh, Mr. B. Von Eyman, Einem, <laughs> yeah. can't say the name today, I'm sorry, came up and the police knew this name because he had been questioned in conjunction with four other almost identical cases. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. Apparently, yeah, his prescription was for a massive amount of these drugs, too, wasn't it? Yeah, wasn't it I like think... a couple of thousand pills or yeah, something like that? Yeah, over the course of, like, two years yeah. that he had been prescribed, like, 8,000... Michael Jackson-level dosages of yeah, sleeping Of, like, aids. all yeah. four of these... Yeah. Um, but he, oh, he was found to be in possession of two of the drugs that were found in, uh, Richard's system. The, so the police went to his house. They said, Hey, uh, can we search your house? And he said, yeah, totally. <laughs> um, that's, and they found one of the really drugs. really stupid or really cocky. Well, they found one of the drugs in his medicine cabinet and he said, Oh, it's prescribed to me. And they said, mm-hmm, okay. Are there any other drugs in the house? And he said, no. No, and uh, they pulled a wardrobe away from the door, and there was another bottle of one of the other kinds of medicines that was found in Richard's system. And they said, "Is this yours?" And he said, "Oh yeah, but I don't take it a whole lot." I just used that to drug young boys I just... before I raped them. <laughs> anyway, it's actually kind of a God. I hate to say this; it's kind of an interesting case. If you want to read about it, there's a lot of really good reading out there on yeah. this. But, but yeah, there was a lot of other physical evidence in his a bedroom lot of also it. too. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, yeah. So luckily, and, and yeah, uh, frankly, I think for considering the severity of the crime, they should have strung him up. Myself. I yes. So the case was really, really strong against him. He had been acting kind of suspicious the entire time. Um, so he was eventually sentenced to life in prison with a 24-year no parole term. Mm-hmm. That was immediately appealed and amended to a 36-year uh, no parole term. The term was up in uh, 2007, but the at-time premier of South Australia vowed that he would not leave jail alive. Yeah. 
if it's a 36 year no parole term mm -hmm. and he went to jail in 83, mm -hmm. that 93, 03, 13, uh, did he go to jail that year? Yeah. 13, that means. But it was 19. Sorry. sorry, I guess I didn't mention. There, they push up parole for things like good behavior. Mm. Okay. Got it. I was just, the, the math wasn't working for no, no, me no, for a second you. there. And so. I think that it's possible that I got that number from the 24-year no parole term, not the 36. But he was up for parole. Either way, he was up for parole and it didn't go through. It didn't go through. Ah, it will never uh, go through. Oh, I'm sure it won't, no. Yeah. Anyhow, um, the family is likely responsible for the other four murders um, starting in 1979 of mostly teenage boys. All five of them died due to massive blood loss caused by an anal injury. Um, oh, except for one of them was undetermined because a farmer had set the body on fire Oops. on accident. <clears throat> um, Bad tractor. So the oh, real... Honestly, Austin, the thing about Von Eidem, uh, mm -hmm. didn't the jury deliver, deliberate for like all of three hours before? They... No, it was actually seven and a half hours. Oh, was it seven and a half? Yeah, oh, it was okay. a fairly think, long I've got to confuse with somebody else. Yeah, yeah. So, um, well, but why is Von Eidem considered a suspect in the Beaumont children disappearance good question neither of you asked it shame on you ah, I was thinking it I was letting our listeners ask it well I mean I mean his MO doesn't necessarily match it doesn't the Beaumont children not right? at all he always um, he always nabbed them one by one yeah so this uh the allegation actually stems in part from uh, some footage that was taken by a local news station uh, at the time when the initial search was mounted for the Beaumont children. Um, and in one clip, the police are searching a storm drain, and there are a lot of onlookers. And one of the men looking on looks almost exactly like Einem at, like, 20 or 21, which is how old he would have been at the time. Mm -hmm. um, and they actually found an image of him from, like, four or five years later when he was 25. Um, and then they, for reference, they darkened his hair a little bit and gave him similar sunglasses. So um, I know our listeners don't have this image, but if you will turn the page. They do look rather similar. It's it's a startling similarity. Mm -hmm. and, it's a good comparison. And I would say that it's not, he doesn't necessarily look like an everyday Joe. You know, when I look at this image, he doesn't look like Joe at all. No, no not really. <laughs> I mean, you know, when you look at that image, you're not immediately like well, that could be anybody. It's yes. they look very he's a, similar. He's got a very uh, distinct feature. He's got, he's got a distinct jawline and chin. He's got a real jutting chin. Yeah. Um, although the fact that he was just ha sort of hanging around while the police were doing their thing doesn't necessarily prove much of anything. Certainly not. But yeah. the, but it would place him at the area at that time. Oh yeah. Apparently, the report, I read some reports that one of the men standing next to him also looks very similar to another one of the alleged family members. Is that the old man? Well, I don't know. The older? Oh, it's just like, because the, the people who are standing there, they're kind of in pairs. Mm -hmm. There's one pair, and then there's Von Enem yeah. and this other guy, and I yeah. assume that they were talking about yeah. the guy. Okay. So the other part of this is the statements by um, a witness which which was just referred to as Mr. B. And he's deemed a highly credible witness for almost everything. <laughs> and he gave a lot of information that led to the um, arrest and conviction of Von Ion. 
allegedly, he once told Mr. B that he had several years ago taken three children from a beach, taken them home, and, um, <clears throat> quote, conducted experiments on them. He said that he had performed, performed a surgery on each of them, uh, then, quote, connected them together. And I really hope it just means he tied them together, not surgically attached yeah, them to I one another. I don't think that's what it means. I kind of think he surgically attached, attached them. them to yeah. one another, yeah. Uh, and one of the children had died during the operation, so he killed the other two and then dumped their bodies in the bushlands. Nice guy. Home operation, yeah, I can yeah, see how weird. that would kill somebody. Yeah. Ugh. And apparently, actually, he did live in the area and did go to Glenelg Beach to perv on the changing room a lot. And I, I guess it's possible. I don't know a whole lot about psychopathic MOs and if they age or change at all. But if he were a young man targeting a younger demographic and that demographic aged with him I, that's not something i've ever heard of i don't know i don't know it's if either it's like you're into young this... boys you're into young men mm -hmm. or you just kill people at random right like i've never i've never heard of anything where it's he was a young man so he was into children and then when he was a middle-aged man he was into young men and progressing that way i, I guess it I, this I, I is pure know. speculation but i if there, if it were because of some sort of trauma, that it would, it could potentially age with you. And but I don't know. I taste guess... and desires change with time. Absolutely. And that but goes also, for psychos as well as regular. But people. also potentially that he, you know, if he was a psycho and was really his draw was to much younger children. And when he was working alone, he had been targeting younger children. And then he found this group of people that was like, dude, seriously, like four-year-olds? I don't know. 14-year-olds is like more where it's at. And yeah, it's, not, like, it's not cool yeah. to rape and kill a four-year-old, but right. a 14-year-old, hey, fine. Yeah, yeah, that's totally cool. So I don't, I, but I don't know. I guess there's also a possibility of that or there's of influence. The, well, you know, and this, he, if, if what we're talking about is correct... Mm. He is then exactly who you were speculating about. One of you recently, when we talked about the serial killer, we were just kind of theorizing the serial killer who continually changed their MO. They didn't actually have an I'm MO. I'm pretty sure you're the one who brought that up, actually. I, I don't mm. think that was me. Yeah, I, think I think that was, was one of you. But the point is, <laughs> this that, matches I exactly think the MO that is idea. changing, Steve. That's, no, that's a good, that, that's a, that is a good idea. It is. It's a good, I, I mean, it's, a, it's an interesting I, mean, I I think that uh, personally, if you're targeting you know people in the four to nine year old range, there's a couple of good reasons for it, and it's mm -hmm. probably they're, they're, it probably is not going to change. Yeah. Mm -hmm. One handy thing about little kids is that they're fairly naive, and small and weak, mm -hmm. and so yes, they're and easy so, to overpower. Right. It's really. But easy I guess to, if yeah. like if you're thinking like I want to overpower and do horrible things to a a person, right? If you're one single person you're going to target something that's easier than if you're a group of five grown men, four grown men. Mm. Three children, though, isn't easy. That's, that's it chasing cats. It is if you gain their trust. Yeah, I, think I don't know. Just... Again, I, I'm not arguing pro or con I know, on I know. this one. It's hard. It's hard to tell. And then I guess a few other things we need to mention, because I'm just going to move this forward a little bit. Um, one is that apparently Vaughn Einman was um he was reported to be preoccupied with children 
whether that like we've been arguing back and forth mr b did say that he was preoccupied with children and that he actually claimed to have also taken two girls from a football match and killed them Oh, this is the 73 case. Yeah. 1973? It is, actually. Did he actually claim that, or was he just accused of that? No, he actually, he told Mr. B, so this was like in an encounter, he told Mr. B, oh yeah, I took three kids, several years ago, I took three kids from a beach and did this to them, and then a few years later, I took two girls from a football match. He didn't ever like say specifically, like, it was these kids and I took them. Um, So I think, to be honest with you, that lends additional credibility to me that he was telling the truth versus like him just kind of bragging. Cause if he were trying to brag to brag, he would have said like, I'm responsible for the Beaumont kids. I'm responsible for this specific case. It wouldn't have been like a vague. Yeah. I did this thing. What? Uh, yeah. In, in my mind. I'm but always so, amazed that uh, people could commit these heinous crimes and then actually brag to people. I, I, mean, agree. I guess Mr. B was one of his fellow pervs, right? I, I think I, the sense that I have is that Mr. B was kind of like a, an associate not one that was responsible for like actually killing and kidnapping and things like that but that he was granted some sort of immunities Mm. for his testimony but the case that um steve was alluding to was that um joanne radcliffe and christy gordon um our two girls did go missing from a football game uh in adelaide in 1973 the other issue that there is is i know we didn't mentioned this when we were kind of going through but the description yeah the the witnesses description of the blonde man in the blue swim trunks um they they guessed that he was in his 30s um which was older than von einem would have been um but photos of him from around that time do actually really closely match the sketches he was kind of a sandy blonde at that point. Um, and then I would be remiss if I didn't mention the first reason that anybody knew about Von Einman, Einem. <laughs> and that is the, uh, the night of May 10th, 1972, which is just weird. If you read his Wikipedia page, you will find a heading called the Good Samaritan. Uh-huh. <clears throat> And on the night of May 10th, 1972, two gay men were thrown into the River Torrens. And this attack was widely believed to have been carried out by a group of police officers. Yeah, they were were from the vice squad, I I think. Yeah, and one of the men did drown, and the other one survived with a broken leg or maybe broken ankle. Accounts vary. Broken something. But he, I guess, played dead until the cops left, crawled out of the river, crawled to a road, flagged down a passing car... The driver took the man to the hospital. The driver was Bevan Spencer Von Einem, which yeah. is weird. Like, I know. You would think he would have, like, you know, pushed the guy back down the riverbank and then gone down there and murdered him. It's just, you it's know? just a little weird, I guess, in my mind. Wrong demographic. He's not going to hurt you. I guess. Which is, like, it just kind of brings up that, like, stigma that we have about psychopaths that were like yeah they just want to kill everyone but they don't apparently i kill a certain sect yeah he has he has very specific tastes so anyway that's um that's him and i kind of like him i i wasn't able to find explicitly where in south australia he was living at the time of the disappearance of the beaumont children but it sounds like well you know he was in the area he you know kind of casually claimed that he was responsible for a lot of the these disappearances 
uh, think he was probably certainly capable of it. He kind of matches the description. I don't know. Yeah, I think yeah. he's a plausible. He certainly is. Suspect. Uh, we'll never. We'll probably never know unless. Well, he's still alive, so he might fess up one of these days. He's still alive, but you. But he has the possibility of parole, even though people think he's not going to ever make it out. But if he were like, yeah, I did those crimes, like he'd be dead pretty quick. I mean, oh, he's, he's never going to get out of parole anyway, no. though. Somebody needs to convince him of that. Yeah. Just well, say, dude. We'll you know, but, but there might be a deathbed confession, you know. Yeah. Hopefully. One can hope. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, that's, uh, that's my guy. Yeah, your well, guy? Steve, Steve has a guy, and Steve really likes this guy. Yeah, my guy's just a total champ, too. Yeah. So thanks for whoever sh- saddled me with this one. You volunteered. I actually didn't. I said, I don't care. Joe was the one who was typing I that I think we day. all said we don't care. <laughs> yeah, yeah not just care. All right. Well, let's talk about this guy uh, in true killer fashion. He's got three names. Huh? He's always identified mm-hmm. as Arthur Stanley Brown. Mm-hmm. We're just going to kind of take him as we do with a lot of these guys. We're just going to take you kind of through who they are and what they've done mm-hmm. and then why it's relevant to the case. So Arthur was born 1912, lived in a town uh, most of his life, a place called Townsville. Mm-hmm. Creative. It totally sounds like it's out of a cartoon. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's kind of like town town, mm-hmm. Townburg. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Townsville is northwest of Brisbane. It's, God, it's like 1,300 kilometers. So it's it's a good distance oh, away from there. Is, but that what? was kind of a landmark I could find. What is that in miles? I don't know, Joe. What is that in miles? 1,300 kilometers? Yeah. Uh, that's 43 miles. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wait. All right. Okay, I'll look anyway, it up later. If you wanna, I can get my phone and get the calculator. No, no I don't okay. want you to do that. Uh, he, uh, so Brown did marry, he married a woman whose uh, name was Hester Anderson in 1944. I'm sorry, the name Hester. Oh, okay. Yeah. Devin likes the name Hester. Was she wearing a red letter? (laughs) Hester had three children of her own from her first marriage. And uh, I'm going to say, thankfully, she never had any children with Arthur. According to the... You'll see it referred to as either the family secret or the family legend. Everybody knew in the family that Arthur had a thing for kids and that he was a pedophile. And there are allegations that he molested a number of children in the family. And I don't just mean his wife's children. It sounds like he was any children in the family that he could get his grubby little hands on. Is this the one that the book's being written about, or is it a different person? What book are you talking about? The Satin... Oh, no, that's, that's Harry. It's a different guy? Okay. That's Harry Phipps. Got it. Yeah, yeah that's yeah, a different guy. Never mind. That's, yeah, Sorry. Totally different person. Two dudes. <laughs> Very similar backgrounds. Yes. But it's from the accounting, the, the parents told the kids to keep away from him, and they told him, they told him why. They were, evidently didn't hide the fact that they considered him a, a pedo. They, uh, I don't a, understand why they didn't just, like... Report him to the police I, or, that, or, or I, hang him or something. I say the same freaking thing. I don't know. But I did learn a really an interesting slang, which is rock spider. Evidently, uh, that's slang for a pedophile in Australia. And I'd never heard of that one. I but didn't know, the kids, know that either. Yeah. The kids used to, re- all of the kids in the family would refer to him as a rock spider. So they all knew, stay away from that guy. He he is pretty well known because of a case that happened. It's a disappearance and killing that of two young girls in 1970. 
It's the 26th of August, 1970. We have Susan and Judith McKay, and these girls are five and seven. And they disappeared from a, sur- a suburb, which is Aitkenville. I believe it's how you pronounce Sounds that. Sounds about right. Uh, their bodies were, they, they disappeared on the 26th. Their bodies were found two days later in a, a creek bed and they had been molested. And both of them had been stabbed in the chest three times a piece. One of them was strangled. The, the, the stabs weren't what killed them. One of them was strangled. And one of them, it's officially, it was asphyxiated with sand. Asphyxiated? Yeah, that word. Yeah. Um, which so they just held her down and poured sand in her mouth. I, and, I don't, you know. I, or I don't know if that is that, or shove face in sand till That's you run out of oxygen too. too. Yeah, that could be. I don't know, but but the the hunt for the girls was huge, mm-hmm. and there eventually was a a big reward put out for information. It was ten thousand dollars at the time, which is equivalent to about a hundred grand today. People came forward. They had all these stories of what they had seen. Um, But some people, uh, two people who came forward that would become important to this are a a man who was said he saw the girls at a bus stop at 810 that morning. And then another person who said he saw the girls in a car at a gas station at 11 o'clock in the morning. And the guy at the gas station said he overheard the girls, one of them saying, you said you were going to take us to see mommy. I want to see mommy now. Mm. So that, you know, that kind of, to me, I don't know why. Well, I do know why it was discredited at the time. and But we won't get too much into that. So here's what goes on, though, is that people say they see these girls in a car. And the car description is really, really bad. It turns out to be described as a blue car, but there's three different kinds. There is a Holden EH, which is kind of a, it's it's like a late 60s, that flat square style of car. Oh, yeah. Exactly. Yep. There's there's a couple of witnesses who say, well, no, it wasn't that. Instead, it was a Vauxhall Victor. And the Vauxhall is more of a 1950s roundish car. You yeah, know, they don't look much alike. They don't look much alike at all. And what's even worse is that uh, the people who say that it was a uh, Vauxhall Victor, they eventually changed their description to a different kind of Holden. I think mm. it's a Holden FJ, which is also kind of a 1950s roundy style looking car. But the one thing that those two people do agree upon is the fact that this blue car had a driver's side door that wasn't the same color as the rest of the car. Interesting. Yeah, if you're going to be a handy tip for you uh, would-be serial killers out there, you want to like not have cars like that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. You want a gray Ford Focus. (laughs) Yeah, perfect. (laughs) Or an Escort or something, Mm -hmm. but a Honda. Yeah. Honda Accord. Kia. Maybe a Kia. You want a Kia. Maybe a Kia. Well, the, well, the point is, <laughs> the cops went with a Holden. Okay. They decided it's got to be the Holden. I don't remember. I think it was the, the EH is the description they went with. Sure. So people are looking for Holdens that have a weird colored door and obviously never find the car. We then jump forward to 1998. And at this point... Uh, Arthur's, one of his relatives, sees a TV show where the case of these two girls is, you know, one of those kind of cold case rehash TV shows. Mm -hmm. And she says, well, you know, the description 
kind of sounds like uh, that, that skeezy uncle of mine. And she reports him. And, okay, she sees the, the sketch of the man. They, they had a sketch mm-hmm. of the man who's driving the car. And you think, well, okay, it's like 30 years later. It can't look like the same dude. Except that Brown really, so he didn't, like... he aged, but his face looked remarkably similar yeah. from 1970 to 2000. Mm-hmm. It, it got wrinkly, but it didn't sag or really change at all. Like mm. He's one of those disturbing people who I you've I've Sign talked about. Pack with the devil. Yeah, know? he just yeah. He, he yeah he's got Weird that painting portrait. somewhere. Yeah. He doesn't look like he ages. Well, that that explains something here because I was going to mention this later. But uh, being born in 1912, uh, uh, the guy on the beach was described as mid 30s, mm-hmm. and he would have been 54. Yep. Yeah. So maybe he did it just age really really well. Yeah. So, well, I know. mean, we've had this conversation. I have an uncle who is in his 70s, and if you didn't know it, you would think he was in his early to mid 50s and you both have met him and probably didn't realize how old he was yeah my mom i have memories of her getting carded i you don't have memories until you're you know really like five six she had me when she was 35 (laughs) i get carded still which is weird. I get carded all the time. Are, you do, you? do not. I, I get carded very rarely. Yeah. Yeah. You get carded no, when I'm you just, buy firearms. There arms. are people who yeah. definitely just age well. Yes. Well, this guy, you know, okay, so we're 30 years later. The the cops, when they, they go ahead and they follow up on this tip, and then suddenly they start realizing some things, like he had a Voxel Victor mm. at the time that the girls were murdered. And lo and behold, it had it was blue, and it had an off-colored door. Huh. And he did some weird stuff. Like, he took the door off, and he buried it, and he replaced it with another door, and then later on went and dug that door back up. And his family's like, you're so weird. What are you doing? And he gave some weird excuse about how he didn't want to be involved in the case. And, like, really, to me, things that call suspicion to yourself, yet nobody did anything at the time that's kind of a you know kind of just a lot of work when he could have just yeah. taken it somewhere and got to a body shop and gotten it repainted yeah, yeah repainted i the whole guess car. although the other on the other hand if there's this search happening for a car and you're a responsible auto shop mm. you if would... somebody brings a car that matches that description with a weird well but it door didn't in... match the description that's the problem is the cops were going going with the holden oh, and he had right. the voxel that's right so yeah. he totally could have he done something simple and not but been he, so but for all he knew they were just you know yeah he well, was being being smart i don't yeah. know no he was know. he wasn't being very smart at all um, i would have pushed it into the river and reported it for insurance yeah, for <laughs> real, it stolen. yeah yeah so here's some of the other things that kind of became damning evidence against him is that he um for 30 years oh god I, I think it was like 30 years or something like that he was a carpenter and he worked for the queensland department of public works he takes care of public buildings is kind of the simple way to think of that. And one of the things he had to do was he had been working at the time the girls disappeared at their school. Yeah. So he would have seen them. Right. Painting at... the school, right? Uh, I don't sorry, think Sorry. I'm painting. sorry. I'm That's... making a TV reference. Yeah. I'm I was sorry. totally going to say, wait a minute. You're making a TV show joke. I am. Um, 10 points to Ravenclaw for whoever yeah, figured that out. God, do we have to do the Ravenclaw thing? Yes. Again? Ravenclaw's the best. Okay. Ravenclaw? The Harry Potter joke. Oh. Point being, he uh, he gets he gets hauled into court. They press charges. 
The the first trial ends in a hung jury. They try to try him again. His lawyer then files a motion, and it eventually goes through saying he's not fit to stand trial because he was starting to suffer from dementia, and he had Alzheimer's. And he died in 2002, and it's fairly that they're fairly certain that he is responsible for the murder of these two young girls. Yeah. But, but they can't say for sure because there's things like there's no records of where he worked at certain times. So some of the stuff is spotty. Like they know he was at the school where the these two girls were at. The two girls said they were murdered. They yeah. were murdered. But like for the Beaumont children, they don't have records because there is, um, oh God, there was a giant flood. And it wiped out a bunch of records because, yeah. you know, back in the day when everything's done in paper, waterlogged yeah. records are useless. Yeah. But they they think that he might be involved in this because if he was working for the Department of Public Works, he could be connected to the Beaumont case because that means that he would have gone where they told him to go. Yeah. It's a long way away from where he lived. It's 2,500 kilometers. It's 1,500 miles. Yeah. I think is if... I actually did the math on this, 1,500 miles. But people do have to travel that far for work, especially in Australia. Where everything's kind of far flung. Everything is very far away from itself. A lot lot of the things that are major are on the coast, and the coastline is long, so it's going to be a big area. Mm -hmm. But I get that. Yeah, so um, I'm not sure. I think this guy's kind of weak. Well, no, I mean, it's it's. There's some other things. Well, I don't know that he's. I don't know that he's necessarily weak. I mean, there's the whole he looked younger than he actually was bit. There's working for the public works department. Um, the records being destroyed in the, it's the Brisbane flood of 74 yeah. is the one that did it, mm-hmm. but there's that, or there's the fact that he worked for the public works department. So theoretically he probably had access to the records room to go file his reports and stuff. Yeah. He could have, he, he could have removed destroyed. files. Yeah. He yeah, could have destroyed the records of what he did. Yeah. Although if he, if he was uh, just a regular working stiff, uh, I'm not sure how much time he would have had to, to spend loafing on the beach, you know, you know, getting to know young children. That is that is kind of the odd. One of the things that's that's hard for me with this is that yeah, he would have had to have been on the beach and been there for an extended amount of time, as I said before, because the kids didn't go to the beach every day, so not he'd just be day. prowling around. But if if he were working at their school. Jane or Arna's. Yeah, yeah. If he were working at Jane's school, for instance, and had developed a relationship with her. And then bumped into her at the beach. Mm-hmm. That's, yeah. Because I think the sense that I had of those children was that Jane was the... Responsible. Sh- well, she was the responsible one, but she was also the most shy of them. So I think that, you know, had she accepted someone in general, the other two would have followed her lead. You know, if she said, yeah. no, it's okay, you guys, this is my friend, they would have been like, oh, yeah, of course that's okay. Jane says it's, you know, okay, so it's okay. Uh, yeah. I, I don't I don't like Brown for this one. I think that it's it's a stretch for him to be that far from home. I agree. Yeah. But I can see why people would, uh, would lump him in, mm-hmm. especially when everybody kind of knew he really had a thing for kids. Yeah. Yeah. All right, we were... We were promised some more suspects. There are actually three more. Ugh. I know. They're a little weak. Um, yeah, they, they they do kind of progressively get 
weaker. Lower and lower on the possibility it's weird. chart. It's like I organized it that way or something. Yeah. Something. The, uh, yeah, well, the next two are really kind of weak because they were really way too young to, yeah. have, to have been this guy on the beach in his mid-30s. Although, it's, again, you know, that doesn't necessarily rule Eyewitness testimony not. sucks. Well, it, it doesn't sucks, have to but, be mid-30s, but yeah. Yeah, also the guy on the beach uh, might not have been involved at all. Yeah. And here's the deal, you know, supposing you were that guy and you're living in Adelaide at the time or in, and you hang out on that beach and you knew the kids and you read about this in the paper, are you going to come forward and say, hey, I, I, I hung out with the kids a few times, but I, are you going to do that? Uh-uh. I guess I would. <laughs> I, I wouldn't. I, I, I guess, yeah, and maybe this is like the difference between like being a lady and being a dude. But like I, I guess I would because I, w- I would have nothing to fear from, right? Oh, really? I would, well, no, but I think you <laughs> really? would say like, yeah, like here's my story. Do everything you can to like search my house you know, see if I've ever been prescribed any, you know, like any, like just do everything that you can. So here's the difference. There's, there's two, two problems here. One. I know. You're a woman. I know. And, but two, it's also 1966 and it's easy to just fall off the radar and stay away because any, you know, cases easily. And I, I will say at the time, I feel like whether it was Australia or England or the United States or wherever, things like this become a witch hunt. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I guess... as soon as you do something, everybody is putting you under the microscope. Yeah. And that's, I guess for, so for me, like, he would have had to have left town, right? Because if this guy lived in that area, and stayed in that area, the fact that, like, so many different witnesses placed him with the Beaumont children, you go out one day to dinner, and people are like, oh, my God, it's you. You're the one I saw. Police, everybody, this is the one I saw. Like, that's what's going to happen in that case, right? So either you come forward or you leave. That could happen. Well, no, I mean, you could just... uh, Here's why why I probably would not come forward if if it had been me. I would probably stop going to the beach. (laughs) <laughs> but I wouldn't necessarily leave town. Uh, and if if I, eventually I do get busted, I just say, hey, you know, I, you know, I never had any reason to think that it was me. I never had anything to do with this. And then, the except thing about it is, was, I mean, except for if somebody like a bunch of people say, no, we saw you with the kids. Yeah. Then you say, then you have to explain why you didn't come forward, and that makes you look even guiltier. Uh-huh. Yeah. This is a circle that we well, can get into. I, but you can pretty easily. Yeah, I know, it is. It is. There's there's good arguments on both sides. But the thing about it is, is if you come forward, then you become a person of interest. Then somebody at the police department leaks it to the press. And then once it's out in the press and your name and your photograph are out there, your yeah. life is destroyed. Your life Absolutely. is over. Yeah, no, yeah. I hear you. Yeah, yeah. I, so, it's again, it's like both arguments. Right? Yeah, that's why I probably, if it had been me, I probably wouldn't have come forward. I'd just go yeah. on a really long vacation. Yeah, but... I think so, or find a job in another town. But let's get back to our uh, our next two suspects. Well, these guys actually could have been involved. I mean, they uh, they were not good people, and but they were really way too young to have been this thirty five. A forty-year-old guy, well, but that doesn't mean they weren't involved. They maybe could have been involved. Yeah. This this is not necessarily just one guy that did yeah. this. And as we've well. talked about, like both of uh, you know, both Steve and I had suspects that were not mid-thirties, but definitely matched the police sketches. Yeah, you know, on either end. So and I, I, I want to throw in one, one more suspect, by the way, Jane. <laughs> I think she abducted the two youngest. No, oh, come on, Joe. <laughs> okay, so what's your first point. one? All right, let's get back to the real suspects here. Uh, James Ryan O'Neill. 
Uh, so again, this guy is not a strong suspect, but we'll talk about him for a minute anyway. Uh, he was born Lee Anthony Bridgart, and I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. I mean, it looks like you can pronounce it Bridgart, but I'm going to go with Bridgart. But he was born in 1947, so makes him a bit young. Uh, but in 1971, he was charged with 12 crimes related to abductions and sexual assaults of four boys. So he skipped town, skipped bail. Weird. And, yeah, really weird. <laughs> and went to West... I mean, he's, if somebody has abducted and assaulted four boys... Why, why would you put them on, on bail? Why would you let them... Yeah, I mean, really. Well, because you can't... You don't know that they have right i mean i guess i would set bill awfully high but well anyway he skipped bail went to western australia uh he changed his name to james ryan o'neill uh and it was during his time in western australia that he actually told several people that he was, was the one who had carried out the beaumont kidnapping i guess people didn't take him all that seriously hmm. this was uh you know this was again not that long after this is like you know five six seven years after and uh it was still a pretty huge deal so it's kind of surprising that nobody ever talked to the police about this yeah. until far, far later. But anyway, in uh, February 1975, he abducted and murdered a nine-year-old boy named Ricky Smith. And um, not too long after that, he did the same thing to another nine-year-old named Bruce Wilson. And Bruce Wilson's body was found in May, and uh, James O'Neill fell under suspicion for the killing, and eventually was... was Dragged downtown and interrogated. He, he fessed up. Uh, he took the police to Ricky Smith's body. Mm. Yeah, and uh, so he was kind of busted. He was convicted of the crime. He's a sociopath. He has uh, he has sort of hinted that he might have been involved. He was interviewed for three years by a detective named Gordon Davy, who eventually came to believe that he was the guy who kidnapped the Beaumont children. Uh, but again, he was only 18 years old when the kids disappeared. So... I don't know. Again, but but again, the guy on the beach might not have been the kidnapper. I I've been able to find any pictures of him, but I've also read that he doesn't look like the kidnapper's mm. description. But again, I've again we don't know that the guy at the beach was actually the kidnapper. Right. Uh, the South Australian police have questioned him. They don't think he's a good suspect. And uh, he uh, he apparently was involved in a lot of abductions of kids. There were, there were a series of other, other ones between Ricky Smith and Bruce Wilson. There were, Wilson, there were like another four or five who were abducted, but they managed to escape. Mm -hmm. So his, his M.O. was, again, to kidnap the kids one at a time. Was he the one, is he the one who, when asked, has confessed to every abduction that they've asked him about? <laughs> yeah. No, or is I that somebody was, else? That was, that was our next suspect. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah he I, was the, the next one was the one where they were like, oh... Uh, you did this one, right? And he's like, well, I was in that area, right? This is this guy. I was in that area, I was but, in that I area but I don't remember if I did it or not. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yep. That's just that's, a true psychopath. Uh, that's yeah. Percy. Yeah. Yeah. Derek Percy. Derek yeah. Ernest Percy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Famous, very famous Australian criminal. Um, he murdered a 12 year old girl named Yvonne Tui and, uh, he was found not guilty by reason of insanity, which doesn't mean that he got to walk free. I mean, he's still locked up. Uh, he's, some have said he's psychotic, maybe schizophrenic, that he had this, uh, legitimate psychiatric issue whereby he really honestly couldn't remember a lot of stuff that he'd done. 
because that's what he would always say. It's like you say, he would say, oh, you know, I was in Adelaide. I was, I was, I was right there in the immediate area, but I don't really remember killing anybody or abducting anybody. Right. I and was there. I can say that about every day of my life. Yeah. I, I remember yeah. being there. I don't remember killing anybody. Yeah. And, I remember being in Portland when Kyron went missing, but I don't know. Yeah, I know. I was, I was here. Careful there. I know. <laughs> You're right. I'm sorry. Yeah. No. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I don't think he was. I'm not sure that he's crazy at all. I think he was just a sociopath. Uh, luckily for us, he died in prison in 2013. But he was also much too young. He was also, again, too young. But again, uh, he could have been involved in some way or another. Uh, he placed himself at the, at the crime scene on that day, but then said he couldn't recall if he did it or not. But here's the deal. It's like, like, like say, everybody they asked him about it, he'd say, oh, yeah, I was right there. I actually don't remember actually kidnapping that particular kid and killing him. You know, he he said this stuff. I think he was just playing the cop. I really yeah. do. He was jerking the chain. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he was uh, Percy. Derek Percy. Apparently, they found maps in his possession uh, of the scene of the Beaumont crime, with the area circled in a, in, a, in with a pen. But that doesn't necessarily mean much. I mean, he might have just... It might have been a... I, this is terrible yeah. to say, but it might have been a fan thing. Yeah, it could have been. It could have been. Or it could have been he Coffee just wanted cat. to... Uh, it could have been he wanted to have something that to, to just sort of implicate himself. But, I mean, nothing serious. I mean, a map with a circle drawn on it is not going to get you the electric chair. But it'll it's not going to get you the treasure either. Yeah, it'll, it'll drive the cops crazy. It'll drive the public crazy and the parents yeah. crazy. But, uh, yeah, it, it doesn't get them much of anywhere but again he was much too young according to what we're he was got. yeah he was way too young uh it's not even apparent that uh, you know it's thought everybody believes at least that whoever did this would have had to have a car to get the kids out of there quickly i, I would mean, agree with that yeah and it's not clear that he had a car it's not even clear that he even had a driver's license at that age and so uh, ew so that kind of lets him out but he was, but he was a weird, weird person. I've heard this story. This is a little bit apocryphal, but when he was a teenager, he was spotted by some other boys at a watering hole. Uh, he was dressed in girls' clothes, and he was stabbing at a pair of girls' panties and yelling. Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. And then he went. Then he went down to the river's edge and defecated in the water. And then the boy, all the boys, of course, ran back to school and told everybody about it. Yeah. And um, and actually, it didn't. It, nobody believed them. They all, everybody thought it was so strange. They, they were, everybody was sure that they were just. They were making, like, "You're just making it up." You're to making like... it up, dude. You're, yeah. Yeah. Cut it out. Uh, he was actually, he had a reputation as for stealing women's underwear. Apparently, it, uh, the women's underwear tended to disappear everywhere he went. And, That's such uh, a weird thing to do. I know. Just go buy some guy. <laughs> God. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah. okay, cool. Yeah. He was also known to be kind of cold and emotionless. So, obviously, this, is, this guy is not a model citizen. Uh, he'd spent some time in the Navy and was still in the Navy when he was arrested for the murder of Yvonne. Yeah, mm. yeah, and one reason a lot of people rule him out also is that the Adelaide Oval case—that was the one where the two girls went missing at the football game. Yeah, yeah, it's because—and this is one reason I don't totally buy this. But when that happened, he was in prison, and since everybody thinks that they were committed by the same person, well, that, not everybody. That would rule him out as a suspect. A but lot of people do think do. that it was the same. And I'd, someday, I'd, probably we will. We may know. I, I don't. I don't think this totally rules them out because they could have been done by two different people. I don't. I, I, a lot of people are yeah. absolutely certain they were done by the same person. It's hard to I'm tell. Not. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, one of the things we glossed over is the fact that um, that area has had a almost prolific number 
of young people disappear yeah, I know. in that t- kind of same area not like recently not but in, there was a there was an era frame. that was a, rash, a yeah. lot of kids and young adults disappeared or were murdered and uh we i don't think any of us wanted to touch on that in this show because it's like deeply, it's a anyway, huge yeah. huge thing that we aren't prepared to take on but it is it is probably i guess worth a mention that like there were some other things that happened around that time that the same person could or could not have been responsible for yeah. But yeah, lots of stuff going on. Anyway, so we just ruled out Derek Percy, I think. Yeah. Yeah, he was he was weak from the start. Yeah. And then last of all, this guy's a more recent uh, nominee for a suspect who is Harry Phipps. He uh, he was the former chairman and co-founder of a company called Castelloy, and uh, somebody is apparently writing a book about him, or maybe it's out by now. I think it's called The Satin Man. And uh, there's really not... All, it's, it's a pretty tenuous case, so I'm not going to spend more than 30 seconds on this. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But apparently one of his sons came forward after Phipps died. Yeah. Well after he died. And said that Phipps, Harry Phipps was a child abuser and a cross-dresser, which, of course, doesn't make him a child. This boy. is the one yeah. that the book is being written about, right? Yeah, yeah, It's yeah. a whole long book. It's called The Satin Man. Yeah, yeah. It's finding the murderer of the Beaumont children. And yeah. it's like... This guy was a horrible man, and uh-huh. here's all the dumb things he did to me. And that obviously makes him responsible for My dad so was a jerk, yeah. so I know. Isn't it? Like, I'm pretty sure that's my understanding of the whole entire book. I haven't read it or anything, but my understanding I... of the book is like, here are all the reasons that my dad was a jerk. And he must have, of course, been responsible. Uh-huh, I know. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, well, the, 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 the evidence that I know of, I, I have not read the book. I don't, like, like I said, I, as far as I know, it's not even out yet, but... Uh, this guy says, Phipps, this is Harry Phipps' son, says mm-hmm. that on the day the Beaumont kids disappeared, he saw three children in their backyard, which I'm not quite... You know, well, wasn't... And F- Harry Phipps also did kind of resemble the description of the guy at the beach. Yeah. Well, but wasn't yeah. he connected to the property that they dug up? What, Phipps? Yeah. Nah, I don't know. Not that I know of. I thought... I guess I had read somewhere that he was connected to that property that... The psychic was like, yeah, the kids are buried there. Mm -hmm. I thought that he was the owner or worked there or something. There was some connection between him and that property, and that's what made the case, quote-unquote, stronger. I I have never actually heard who the owner of that warehouse was. Sure. I'd never heard. I don't know. Yeah. So that was, but, I uh, guess that was the only thing that I would add to that. It was, but again, but then again, if, if, if Phipps was connected to that, well, guess what? Kids bodies weren't found there. Yeah, yeah. no, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Mean, but that, that was one of the reasons I think that the family was like, well, he was kind of a jerk. And also he was connected vaguely to this area. So that yeah, yeah. strengthened their case a little bit. I, but you know, I think that, um, again, I don't a hundred percent remember. So please everybody forgive me if, I've just said something that's a hundred percent wrong. Yeah, I, uh, I, I, well, I think that the one reason I don't buy into the Phipps theory at all is that um, you just committed a major crime, which is kidnapping. You take the kids to your own house and yeah. let them out in the backyard. What are you thinking? Uh, hello, I yeah. don't, I don't buy this at all. No, I agree. I, I, I totally don't buy Harry Phipps. Yeah. So, 
I think, you know, maybe he was a cross-dresser. Maybe he was kind of mean to his kids, but, you know, that's about it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, who knows? Maybe even that's not true. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, so, and that's it for the suspects. Well, yeah, uh, and then there's the whole, like, amorphous, like, that it could be anybody. Random whoever. <laughs> yeah, I don't... It's not on our list. Yeah, I don't think anybody... Even our strongest suspect, who is one item, mm -hmm. uh, is, frankly, I, I've got to say, the evidence is pretty it's thin. It's not good. Yeah, it's not yeah, good. It's not no. great, but he is... I, I think he's the strongest of the suspects. Oh, he is, he is but it's still no not great yeah yeah, yeah. so anyway people lock your kids up yeah uh, put tracking devices on them chip yeah. them chip your kids Wait, what's that what's that song lock your kids up hide your wives mm. what's... no it's hide your kids hide your wives that's the one yeah. that's that's yeah. vice to live hide by kids, evidently yeah wife. yeah I you know I don't have any kids if I if I have any whenever I send them out of the house I'm going to booby trap them. Yeah, because so, you're definitely yeah. in like prime kid having time right now. Hell yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. All right, kids, yeah. wear your glass and nail encrusted jackets. Right. Yeah, another. You know, you, you duct tape Claymore Mines to the front and the back no, of them. Yeah. This is Ron Swanson personified. Face, face towards enemy. Uh -huh. yeah. yeah. Well, so as we said, there is a $1 million reward for yeah. anybody who has information about this. So if you have information about this, Pass ignore it along to us, the fact to that them. I just said it's a million dollars and tell us your theory. We will uh, we'll cut we you will in listen. on it. Yeah, yeah, we'll cut you in. We'll give you a 1%. That sounds fair. Yeah, and Australia, Australia, if you want us to solve the mystery for just you, just get your economy better. Yeah, no, no, yeah. you're not going to do that. Just bump it up to 1.4 million. Yeah, and we're good. Which is the equivalent of one million in American. Yeah, and then perfect. you know we'll we'll tell you yeah. we'll tell you who did it, where the we'll bodies are. Yeah, yeah. Um, but Oy. do you have anything else? Oh or? no. Do you have anything no. else? Yeah, <laughs> no. Uh, yeah, no. I I, I uh, doubt this case will ever be solved. I agree. It's unfortunate. Well, until they raise the money, of course. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Then we'll solve it. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so if you want to see some suck. of the links that we used to research this show, um, or you want to leave a comment, um, you can also listen and download episodes on our website. That website is thinkingsidewayspodcast.com. Um, you are probably listening to us on iTunes. If you are, leave us a comment and a rating. Just, it helps people find us. We're um, continually moving up the rankings. Moving so. up the rankings, yeah. yeah. In fact, um, I th we put on Twitter, I don't know if we put like everywhere, I'm just going to like, I'm so proud of this. We have officially, our like 90 day downloads is over a million. Wow, that's pretty so decent. So keep listening to us, you millions of people. Just kidding. <laughs> yeah. It's like 2,000 who just keep downloading over and over yeah, again. I, I think hear that's you. what it is. I or it's bots. Yeah. Or it's me, actually. Um, no, you no. can... Joe keeps hitting the button. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> In the download yeah. um, you can stream us almost anywhere. I think we're on like everything at this point. Um, find us on all of your social media server sites things. We're on Facebook. We've got the group and the page. So um, find us, friend us, like us. Uh, we're on Twitter. We're thinking sideways podcast no we're just thinking sideways thinking sideways yeah. um we are we have a subreddit i was wrong last week i said it was thinking sideways pod it's not just 
search Thinking Sideways and you'll find us. Oh, do we have an email account? We I can't have, remember. We also have an email account. I know you can't remember because you don't get it to your phone, but Steve and I do when we've gotten <laughs> five emails since we started recording this episode. Oh, really? That email address is thinkingsidewaypodcast at gmail.com. Send us your suggestions. We can't promise we'll ever get to them. Uh, we have a lot of suggestions. We have so many suggestions. But send us your feedback, everything, whatever you want to do. If you just want to talk to us, if you just want to misspell my name. I don't care. Yeah, her name is D E V I. I. Not O N. I. Yes, I. Not A. There's no A's. Devon. There's like some people have been like D A V A N. I don't know. But it was spelled like croissant. Yeah, Yeah. it's pretty much, it's just like that. There's like five T's in it. It's fine. Um, But send us an email. We love, we will always get back to you. We love to talk to you people, um, even though it may take us a couple days. And last but not least, if you want to make a sustaining contribution to the show, you can do so on uh, Patreon.com. It's Patreon.com slash Thinking Sideways. Um, and there's more information there for all of that stuff. Um, yep. Yeah. Um. That all having been said, four hours later, um, we're going to get out of here. Happy October, everyone. Yeah. So, yeah, we'll see you in November. Yeah. So, uh, you guys are going to give me your candy, right? Uh, what candy? Halloween candy. I'm sugar free, man. Yeah, actually, I will because I'm sure mine's full of razor blades. God, you guys but, suck. Yeah. Candy for life. Yeah. Uh.